had the uh, wonderful privilege yesterday to uh, attend a wedding over at Camp Comfort. Young couple, beautiful couple. And uh, in 30 years of, of ministry, I've had a chance to attend a lot of weddings and, and perform a lot of weddings. And, you know, there's a part of the wedding that, that uh, I've always found really, really kind of profound and, and kind of weighty, and it's the sharing of the vows. Right, the sharing of the vows, and and sometimes you know, if if you're not careful, you go to weddings and you can kind of, kind of just let your mind drift sometimes because you've been to so many of them. But if you really listen to the vows uh, at a wedding, you know, uh, it can really be one of those moments like, wow, do they know what they're saying? Do they really, are they hearing, are they listening to each other? Because uh, it's weighty when you, when they stand before God and before witnesses and make this covenant and they re- re- recite these vows, it's a weighty thing. It is, it is weighty. And, and to actually listen, yesterday they, were, they, were, they actually recited vows uh, in a way that I had never heard particularly before. And, and so when it was new, because of the newness of them, it even, you know, I perked up even more. And, and at the end of it, you know, they were, some of the longest vows, honestly, that I've ever heard recited. I was like, wow, wow, if they're really committed to fulfilling those vows, uh, they're going to not have a perfect marriage, but they're going to be pretty, pretty solid if at the heart level they're committed to that. And, and I was thinking of that in light of what we've been talking about. Uh, in James 1.25, I will start with that, right? It says this, And I'll read out the screens. It says, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed or happy in his doing. So if you're just joining us, uh, we have spent the first quarter of 2019 really examining the relationship between being a doer and being blessed. That verse is pretty straightforward. He will be blessed, biblically happy, content spiritually prosperous, thriving in your doing. It's who you are. It's not just isolated acts, what we call do it. It's a doer. As a doer, someone who's committed to Christ, he's your life, you're doing your best, maybe not perfectly, but it's your heart. You want to be a doer. That verse is a promise. It's a command and a promise. You will be blessed. I will be blessed. We will experience spiritual prosperity, not material, spiritual thriving as we do. As we go about following Jesus, right? Last week we concluded with John 15. It says, if you keep my commandments, Jesus is saying, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So part of really foundational to being blessed in our doing, Jesus himself says, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. How many of you honestly would love to experience regularly Jesus joy? Not your joy, Jesus joy. Well, he says right here, it's related to obedience. If you keep my commandments, you will abide, you will remain in my love. And by the way, I'm telling you these things because I want you to be full of joy. Not man-made joy, not your joy. My joy, I love that last sentence, it knocks your socks off. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be what? Full. Full. See, sometimes we just race past these very powerful words. 
Because a lot of us sometimes think, I don't know about you, but before I became a believer, I kind of didn't believe that God wanted my joy in my life to be full. I thought God was just kind of always mad at me. And um, the goal in my life was just not to make him more madder. Right? Just kind of like, keep it cool, keep it cool, don't, don't make the principal in the sky any more mad at me than he already is. Right? And then I became a believer and I read that and I was like, Jesus says that he wants my joy to be full. To be full. Right? It, it's, this, it's this incredible paradigm shift about trying to understand what it means to be a, just a follower of Jesus. As a follower of Jesus, Jesus himself says, I want your joy to be what? Full. How many would like to walk in fullness of Jesus' joy? Doesn't matter. Circumstances? Health? None of that. It's not dependent on any of that. What is, according to these verses, it goes back to obedience, abiding in his love, letting his joy fill you. Right? And so I was thinking about all of this in light of these vows that I was hearing. Because we want this joy. Many of us want to. How many, just, how many of you would say, yes, at my core, just in general, as a general life follower of Jesus, I want to obey Jesus? Anyone? Just, right? I mean, I'm, I'm guessing there's not many here that are like intentional, like, no! I want to be a rebel. Today I choose to willfully disobey him. Most of you, um, you wouldn't be here. If that, why would you be here if that, were you, if that was where you were, right? So in general, you're here. You had this desire to obey him. And yet sometimes, I've got to be honest with you, as, as I came to know the Lord and I've walked with him all these years, there have been times, especially in trying to figure out the Bible and what is it, what does it mean to follow Jesus, that I didn't really have this real positive view of the commandments. How many of you remember the original Ten Commandments movie? Kind of scary. Right? Charlton Heston comes down. The Ten Commandments. Right? All the thou shalt. Right? And it's kind of like scary as a little kid. You're like, right? So this word commandment didn't really create warm fuzzies in me. Like the word commandment was like this burden. Like, just don't mess up. Right? Don't, don't violate the Big Ten. Right? If, as long as you, you stay good with the Big Ten, you'll be good. Right? And, and, and kind of I, I had to work through this idea that no, no, it's really not designed to be that way. Because 1 John 5 says this, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God. When we love God... And obey his commandments. For this is the love of God. Coming back to love, right? That we keep his commandments. And here's the verse we're focusing on this morning. His commandments are what? Not. I'm just, just go ahead and look at that. And just, just let that percolate for a little bit. That last sentence. His commandments are not. Everyone say not. Burdensome. Hmm. You believe that? Huh? Right? Think about that. His commands are not burdensome. Forgive. 
bear one another's burdens. Love as I have loved you. Got quiet. Right? A lot of us may still look at what's written in those, if you have a Bible or your electronic, right? You're like, that's not burdensome? How is that not burdensome? I, I feel like I'm, I'm keeping track every day and I end up in the negative. I feel like by the end of the day, I got this, I got all this, you blew it here, you blew it here, backpack on my back. How is, not, how is God's word, how are her commandments not burdensome? We're going to look at that today and into the next couple of weeks. Because here's the thing. If this morning, at the core, you haven't settled the issue that his commandments are not burdensome, it's going to affect your willingness to actually obey them. Right? How many of you, in your schooling years, came home burdened with a lot of homework? And how many of you, for whatever reason, found other things to do other than your homework because you were so burdened by it? Right? Not many of us get burdened by six periods of homework and come on and go, yeah, let's just jump right into this. This isn't a burden. You see, if, if, if you are here this morning and, and the Bible and God's commandments are seen as a burden, you, ding, 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 I'm hoping you're connecting the dots about why maybe you don't want to obey it. Which actually then goes back to why you're not abiding in his love, which actually goes back then to is why you're not experiencing makarios, blessedness, happiness. It goes back to, by faith, believing in the truth of that scripture. His commandments are not burdensome. There's an old uh, saying uh, I came across that says, love feels no loads. Think about that. Love feels no loads. I shared with you before when my kids were, I think they were elementary school, maybe junior high, and, uh, you know, Black Friday sales. I've shared this before. Um, part of my love language is I'm a giver. I love giving gifts. And so one year I was real busy and I didn't get around to, you know, kind of like you try to listen, like, what's the latest out there? And so, like, this was, I think, when the Nintendo Wii's, right? If you're a gamer here, right? Nintendo Wii was the biggest thing out there. And I'm like, I'm doing it. Black Friday sales. Target. 4 a.m. I'm there. So I got up. Yeah, I'm like, yeah. And my wife's like, you're what? I'm like, I'm going to Target. I'm going to Black Friday. Going to get the Wii. The kids got to get the Wii, right? Yeah, and I suited up, woke up at 3 a.m., Tried to figure out when all the other early birds try to you try to time it because there's only a limited amount. So you try to get first in line and got down there about 4 a.m. all bundled up and there was already a line. I'm like, you know, and then and then it's funny because everyone's kind of quiet at first because no one wants to give up why they're there. <laughs> hey, what are you here? What are you here for? You're trying to count how many people because sometimes the the ad says there's only like six available. So you're trying to. But here's the cool thing, and, and, and you know, I know it's not everyone's thing to do this. That wasn't a burden to me. That was kind of fun. That was an adventure. I, I, it was just, I love my kids. I love them opening the gifts. You know, it just lights my fire. So I'm up at 4 a.m., and I'm at Target with all the other dads and moms. It wasn't a, wasn't a burden. It wasn't a load. I was like, yeah, I'm lit. Let's do this. And then you get in, and it's like all gone. You're like, What? Then everyone's like on their phones trying to race to what other store is supposed to have them. So you race and you're like, you're here too. You know, I'm like, 
first year I struck out. I'm like, God, 3 a.m. next year, 3 a.m. But it wasn't a burden to me. It was love. It's my love language. I, I, it's just my love. And I, I was like, it's not a burden. I wanted to. I wanted to. Right? And, and there's, there's, there's a point to this is that when you understand the love of God, and when you enter a love covenant with Jesus, it's not burdensome. His commandments are not burdensome because you want to. At your core, it's not this heavy load you're carrying. You really want to. And some of you may be clicking with that right now. Others of you are like, I just don't get that. Well, hopefully you will. Maybe not today, but, but as we move forward. Psalm 40 verse 8 says, I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. Psalm 119 I have rejoiced in your laws as much as in riches. I will study your commandments and reflect on your ways. I will delight in your decrees and not forget your word. Psalm 119.97 Oh, how I love your instructions. I think about them all day long. I read that and I was like, wow. The psalmist delights to do his will. Right? He loves his instructions. I only put that one up. He loves his instructions. I think about them all day long. See, that's a radical shift from seeing it as burdensome. In fact, in that verse, when it says that they're burdensome, that word burdensome means this, oppressive, severe, cruel, grievous, a source of trouble. So the psalmist says, I delight in your instructions. I delight in your law. 1 John 5 says, hey, his commandments are not oppressive. They're not cruel. They're not grievous. They're not a source of trouble. Is that where you are this morning? Because depending on where you are with your heart towards God's word, it's going to have a radical impact on what you do when you leave here. Radical impact. If it's a burden, go to lunch. If it's a delight, if it's a delight, you might make some really good decisions because it's a delight. Right? And so how do we, how do we kind of, if you're there and you're like struggling with, with, is it a burden to me? Is it a delight to me? And you're like, how do, I, how do I work through this? Why? If God's word is from God and so incredibly awesome, why do I see it as a burden? It kind of goes back to maybe you have a misunderstanding about even salvation. Right? 1 John 5 one says this, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. So this passage that we looked at starts with being born again. Being born again. And all that that means, right? 1 John 5, 4 and 5 says, For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? If we're going to really ask God to expose our hearts and, and do some radical transformation regarding the burdensomeness of scripture you're going to have to be really open and willing to let God speak to you about what it means to be born again to be born of God because we've seen before if you've been with us in the past when you're born of God some radical things happen in you you get a new heart he transforms your heart from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh. He gives you new desires. You're a temple of the Holy Spirit. You want to, and you're enabled to. Okay, we're going to look at that more. But as I was thinking through this, I think that some of us struggle 
with God's commandments being felt, being perceived as being burdensome, because the gospel has been presented to us in a way that maybe sent us down kind of this misleading road. And this, this is what I mean. How many of you have ever either said or had the gospel shared to you in, in, in this way? Hey, to become a Christian, all you have to do is. Anyone ever hear that? All you have to do is say a prayer. All you have to do is believe. All you have to do. Anyone ever hear the phrase? It's something like that. All you have to do. Right? Now, I understand what that person may be trying to do. What they're trying to do is get you to understand that you can't earn salvation. That it's by God's grace, unmerited favor. So there's nothing you can do to earn it. So what they say is all you have to do is receive it. Okay, so let's be real clear. We're not talking works, anything like that. I get that. But here's the challenge with this, and here's why some of you here might be struggling with this idea that God's commandments are burdensome. If, Mark, can I use you? If I come to Mark and I say, Mark, here's the gospel. All you have to do is believe and say this prayer. You're like, really? And I say, yeah, it's God's grace. You can't earn it. You're saved by grace through faith, not by works, lest anyone should boast. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, right? You're like, good, got it. Say, so all you have to do is say a prayer, believe on Jesus by faith. And you're like, good. So we celebrate, we hug it out, woo right? So he leaves now with the, 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 the thought in his head, My name is in the book of life. I'm going to heaven. I have fulfilled the bare minimum. Because all I had to do was. So in his mind, if Christianity is just about getting into heaven, and all you have to do to get into heaven is the bare minimum, then how am I going to view the rest of the book? How do I view the rest of the book? I've done the bare minimum. My name is written in the book of life. I'm getting into heaven. Everything else is a burden. Everything else is now oppressive to me. Isn't that what Christianity is? All I have to do is the bare minimum to get into heaven. A lot of us may have picked that up, that your faith in following Jesus is doing the bare minimum to get into heaven. And because you sort of live your life as a believer at the bare minimum level, when we say, hey, God has gifted you to serve in the church, you're like, that's kind of oppressive. (laughs) When we say God loves a cheerful giver, well, that's kind of cruel. Because it doesn't meet your definition of bare minimum. This is why a lot of us, like, then then we make camps, right? Oh, you guys are serious over there. Suddenly now they're serious and non-serious Christians. You see how we, it gets really skewed really quick. From a gospel presentation made with the best of intentions, but actually sent someone down the bare minimum road. 
Because here's the truth, guys. Living at the bare minimum level is pretty darn comfortable. Because it fits my schedule. And it's convenient. And I don't have to have self-sacrificial love. I might not even need the Holy Spirit anymore to live at the bare minimum level. When I live at the bare minimum level of the gospel because I'm going to heaven, a lot of things become optional. It just becomes optional at that point. Because I've already satisfied what? The bare minimum. This is, this is kind of what we're focusing on today. You've got to ask yourself, have I just kind of, did I, did I get sent down the bare minimum road? And that's why I'm not delighting in God's word. That's why all these truths about loving one another, self-sacrificially, bearing each other's burdens, all of these truths, they're just kind of seem as like burdens. It could be that You've been in church for so long that you kind of slid into, I'm good because I meet the bare minimum. I meet the bare minimum, right? John Ortberg really addresses this in his book, Eternity is Now in Session. Here's what he says. Saving faith becomes the minimum amount you have to believe so that if you believe it, God has to let you into heaven. Imagine saying to Jesus, I trust you've deposited merit in my heavenly bank account, and I will consume your merit to get in. But I don't trust you enough to actually do what you've said in my life, everyday li- in my everyday life. I'll use your blood to avoid hell, but I'd like to retain control of my own life. That kind of trust would be insulting and nonsensical. Whew. See, and this is, this is where... In the church, we try to slice and dice it, and we say, well, you do this, you got to do this, and it gets so complicated when really, honestly, it's pretty darn simple. It's just, it's just really simple. There's a simplicity to it. And then I think of the, the wedding vows, right? So there's some traditional wedding vows. I'll, I'll put them up, right? These, I've said these in weddings. It says, I take you, whoever, to me, my wife or husband, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish, till death do us part. Do you see that, that those vows, if you're listening, that is not the bare minimum, is it? That's maximum. That's maximum marriage. Right? And I was thinking about what if, what if there were minimized wedding vows? Minimized version. And... Tyler, you said there's going to be a wedding coming up soon. So, so I said, Garrett, come up here, buddy. <laughs> if you don't know, Garrett's getting married to my daughter <laughs> in a few weeks. And so we're just going to practice some vows. But she's going to stay there. All right, so you, you can stand here. These are called the minimized Wedding vows. Should I face her? You face face her. You talk right to her. Okay. You talk right. Don't. You're not marrying me, bro. All right. (laughs) All right. All right. All right. You ready? Yeah. Just repeat after me. Say, I take you, Tierra. I take you, Tierra, to be my wife. To be my wife. From this day forward. From this day forward. I will do the absolute least I can do (laughs) to stay married to you. I will do the absolute least I can do to stay married to you. 
I will do the least that I need to do when you are sick so that it doesn't affect my health. <laughs> I will do the least that I can do when you are sick that it does not affect my health. I will work as little as possible and want you <laughs> oh, to work man. as much as possible so that we are rich and not poor. <laughs> I will work as little as possible and want you to work as much as possible so that we are rich and not poor. I will love and cherish you with all my heart as long as it is convenient for me and doesn't interfere with my life. <laughs> I will love you and cherish you with all my heart as long as it is convenient for me and does not interfere with my life. I will do the bare minimum required till death do us part. I love you. <laughs> I will do the bare minimum required till death do us part. I love you. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Thank you, Garrett. Right? The wedding has been canceled and rescheduled. Right. That just doesn't make any sense now, does it? It, it just, you're supposed to be in a marriage covenant relationship, which by implication means I'm all in at the maximum commitment level to you. Amen? So to try to like put limits and bare minimum, T. Did that just warm you, give you warm fuzzies to hear that your future husband wants to do the bare minimum to stay married to you, right? Right. But see, here, here's the twist and here's kind of the ouch moment. If we're not careful, that's what we're doing in our covenant with Jesus. That's the, that's the moment where we're like, hey, Jesus, I want to be in covenant with you. I love you. But... As long as it meets the bare minimum requirements, as long as it's convenient, as long as it doesn't interfere, right? This is where we're talking about if, if you can get to the place of just being maximally committed and surrendered to Jesus, honestly, what you do follows. It just kind of follows. It's a byproduct. What we do for Jesus is a byproduct of our love for him. Amen? That's kind of what it boils down to, right? Here's a quote. It says, God's commandments become burdensome whenever a Christian desires to do something inconsistent with his directives. When a believer attempts to carry out his own will, God's commandments seem cruel and restrictive and fellowship with God is broken. Then he finds that he must come back to a loving obedience. Oswald Chambers says, the Lord does not give me rules, but he makes his standard very clear. If my relationship to him is out of love, I will do what he says. If I hesitate, it is because I love someone I have placed in competition with him, namely myself. It's about love and loving him first, loving him with all you have, right? Think, think about some of these passages now in light of this minimum, maximum. Some of these passages that I'm going to read from Jesus and the word now might make more sense to you, right? Matthew twenty-two thirty-six, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with what? All your heart and with? And with? All. It's an all. There's no minimum. It's a maximum. All is a maximum word, right? 
Mark 8, 34. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will, will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Matthew 10. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. It's an all-in moment. It's an all-in moment, right? John 13, 34. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. What's the standard? His love. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So some of us may be struggling just to kind of eke by at the bare minimum. And Jesus is like, hey, by the way, it's all. You're an all in. It's all in. In fact, think about this. In John 13, go ahead, Eileen, put that one back up. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. And here's the minimum requirement. Just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. Think about what happened to this church. Think about what happened to the church around the world if we truly live maximally loving one another. If we came to church and were committed to a church to serve and love each other maximally, full, full throttle, instead of doing the bare minimum to be a member, an active member at the church, <laughs> whatever that means, what if... We were a church that was just on fire to live maximally for Jesus and for each other. I got to tell you, there wouldn't be enough chairs. You go to two services, three services, umpteen services, if we truly just went all max, just maxed out. But what we try to do is we try to gauge and we sometimes create these layers of, well, what's the requirement and how much do I really need to do? Well, according to Jesus, what you really need to do is love each other as he loves you. That, just look at the Bible. That's the standard. It's not, even, it's, not, it's not even, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. So go ahead, turn to the person next to you and give them that smile. Say, I love you, man. I love you, right? <laughs> Woo! That's a standard. That's a standard. We're called, Jesus says, love one another as I have loved you. That is not a minimum. I mean, that's minimum and maximum combined. It's just, there's the standard. That your joy would be full. Right? It's amazing. And what does it come back to? He says in John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. It's love. It's a love relationship with Jesus. If you love me, the fruit of your love for me will be obedience. The fruit of my love for my kids, 4 a.m. at Target. So, so don't, get that, don't get that switch because a lot of people keep that, they, they misinterpret that verse as another burden. What he's saying there, love me. If you love me, you will bear the fruit of obedience. It's an it, obedience command. It's a, it's a fruit. It's a byproduct. It happens because you want to. Why? Because you're in love with the guy. It flows out, Right? There's a story in Luke 7 that, that really just nails this, and, and, and we'll close with this. A Pharisee named Simon has a dinner party, and he invites Jesus. Culturally, when, when leaders have parties uh, at their home, the community is invited. 
And what would happen is the community, if you're not especially, you know, a, a guest, you would be welcome into the house and you would stand around the walls and you would just kind of watch the guests sit around the table and talk and eat. Right. So this is this is kind of what happens here. It says one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. It's in Luke seven. So Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. When a certain immoral woman from that city heard he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. Right, so there's this dinner party, this woman of ill repute, you know, something, she might have been a prostitute, comes to the dinner party, sees Jesus, she's crying, she has perfume, tears cover his feet, she's wiping his feet, putting perfume. The host, Simon the Pharisee, says, really, Jesus? Really? You're letting her touch you? She's a sinner. We all know her reputation, Right? Then Jesus answered his thoughts. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. Then Jesus told him this story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 to the other. But neither of them could repay him. So he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said, right? 500 versus 50, both people get their debts canceled. Who would be more happy? Who would be more joyful? Who would be more grateful? Who would be more loving? The one with the greater debt canceled, right? That's what Jesus says. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet. But she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss. But from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head. But she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. What's his point? The sinful woman recognized that she was forgiven much. She recognized how much grace and love had been given to her. And in response to being forgiven much, she loved much. Simon the Pharisee, self-righteous, good to go, good moral guy, good religious guy, doesn't really believe he's that bad. Because he really doesn't believe he's that bad, he loves this much. If we are going to be transformed into delighting in God's commandments, into understanding and believing they're not burdensome, it starts with this. How much have you been forgiven? Have you been forgiven much? 
Because, see, if you, if you get to the place where you're just humbled by the cross and you realize, oh, I am part of the much forgiven, your love will just flow. God's grace will come upon you, his love, and you're just like, oh, my gosh. Whatever you want, Jesus, whatever you want. I once was lost, but now I'm found. My name is now book, in the book of life. I'm a new creation. I'm the temple of the Holy Spirit. Whatever you want, whatever you want, I'm just part of the much forgiven. I've just been much forgiven. See, sometimes people come around here and they're like, what makes you guys tick? Why are you guys so joyful? Why do you guys do what you do around at the well? You guys are so happy, right? I had a wonderful comment. Uh, we had a guest like two weeks ago. And then the next week, someone came, the person who had brought them, and said, you know what so-and-so said about, about you guys, meaning us guys? Had a wonderful experience here, first time ever here. He tells the person that brought them, they're not fake. <laughs> That's awesome. Someone who has never been here before interacted with you. I just barely met the person after for 30-second handshake. They were interacting with you and with you. And the end result, they tell the person that brought them, I like that. They're not fake there. Come on, right? I love that. I'll take that any day. And it's like, what makes you guys tick? Why do you guys do what you do? Why, you know, here's the deal. At the core around here, we just kind of recognize we're just part of the much forgivens. That's kind of what we do. That's why we're here. We're just part of the much forgivens. And as part of the much forgivens, I get that I was going to, I thought I was going to be a lawyer, but I went, I, you know, we were talking earlier. I didn't go to law school. I ended up here. Because it's like, okay, Lord, I get it. I'm part of the much forgivens. What do you want with my life? We're just here because we're just, we're just part of the much forgivens. I can't explain it. I can't, I'm not going to overcomplicate it. Right? I was talking with someone Earlier, and, and kind of explaining the trials of being a pastor and the things that I have to work through and, and, and the heartaches and the agony. And they're like, dude, why would you even do that? I'm like, I don't know. It's got to be a God thing, bro. And, and, and it's honestly, I got to tell you, I'm just part of the much forgiven. And, and it doesn't even matter this title. Even if I left here and I wasn't pastor anymore, I would still live my life as just one of the much forgivens. Just part of the, just one of the much forgivens, man. That's what makes us tick here. That's why we want you to know Jesus. And we're not here to like be oppressive and be the spiritual popo and tell you you got to do this and go to men's group and go to Aspire and go to Google. No. You know what we want you to do? We want you to fall madly in love with Jesus. We just want you to fall madly in love with Jesus. How do you do that? Recognize the cross and, and be humbled and be part of the much forgivens. If you're part of the, if you get that, and you let God's grace just flood you and overwhelm you, however he does that supernaturally, I honestly believe how you serve and what you do and give and that, that, that around here will seriously take care of itself. It will just take care of itself. I love when people come here and they get, they're so excited, not for us, but for Jesus. And they, they ask, how can I serve here? Do you guys need help? I'm like, what? Is there, is there somewhere I can serve? I'm like, what's up? You mean I don't have to convince you? I don't have to give you like the sales pitch? I don't have to like twist your arm? 
No. I love Jesus. And I said, what, what, what do you, how can I serve here? I'm like, really? You know, it takes me a while. I'm like so jaded, like 30 years of church. I'm like, really? Yeah, God just put it on my heart to serve. What do you need? I'm like, oxygen? <laughs> Is this real? I love that. And that's my heart for you. That's why we do what we do. Whether, whether we grow to another service, whether we shrink to one person. If one person came on Sunday, I would say, hey, love Jesus. I just want you to love Jesus. I just, together, me and you, we'll just be the much forgiven. And we'll have work day by ourselves. And we'll eat all the donuts by ourselves. And we'll have to clean up by ourselves. But it would, we're just going to be the much forgiven. Amen? See, it's kind of like I, when I was thinking of this, I said, let's change the sign. Instead of the well, the church of the much forgiven. Because that's who we are. Are we perfect? Will, will we be perfect on this side of heaven? No, we're all in sanctification. There is tremendous grace extended to everybody in this room. Amen? Turn to the next person next to you and say, I love you, man. Because it's grace. You're going to have to extend grace to them at some point if you're a part of this church. Right? So, let's just, let's just get back to the foundation. A lot of grace will be extended as brothers and sisters in Christ till we get to heaven. Amen? But at the core, we are the church of the much forgiven. That's all we are. You have a role to play, I have a role to play. Sunday mornings, I'm just using my gift. I'm just using my calling. You have the same gifting and calling to be used in the church. I'm, I'm not so much more important. Everyone in here has a part that's called the body of Christ. But what unifies us? Being much forgiven. Just, just being overwhelmed by his grace and his love. Right? First John 4. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we loved God. Not that we loved God. But that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. See, I spent the first 20 some odd years of my life going up in a religious tradition where quite honestly, I kind of figured out pretty quickly how to work the system to where all I had to do was, was I thought was the bare minimum requirement. And I kind of went to church every Sunday, didn't do anything really horrible, good, moral, upstanding citizen, thinking pretty much I was fulfilling the bare minimum requirement because I was earning my way to heaven because I fulfilled those. It wasn't until the gospel was shared with me, it wasn't until I understand Jesus in a real personal way that that whole model of bare minimum went, just got blown up. And I was just like, are you serious? God demonstrates his love for me while I was yet a sinner, while I was far away from him, while I was partying and doing everything I wanted to do to please me. He died for me? Really? And once I understood that, and God opened my eyes to it and it went from here to here, man, I was like, are you kidding me? I'm that much forgiven? He forgave me that much? And then it was just done. I was just done. I was, 
Okay, Jesus. <laughs> wherever and wherever you want to send me, my life is not my own. I was just done. Knowing that what I had done in my life, knowing the extreme grace that was extended to me, for me to be forgiven, new creation. Okay, Lord, what claim do I even have on my life anymore? I'm done. I'm yours. So it wasn't about trying to live by the bare minimum. It was like, dude, <laughs> it's all max, Jesus. Just take it. Just take it. What claim do I have? None. Right? That's my heart for you this morning. Right? His commands are not burdensome. Where does that come from? Ultimately, ultimately, recognizing that you've been forgiven much. You're just part of the much forgiven. I encourage you. You got it. You got it. Don't race past this. Chew on it. Let God speak to your heart today, tomorrow, till it really, till it just, just gets there, just penetrates. Because it can take a while. And sometimes there's things in our life that God's working on constantly. And you might, he might just floor you. You might, it might just go, boom, your eyes might be open and you might be at bombs. <laughs> you might be doing something else and you're like, oh my gosh, are you kidding me? And it's just like your moment where he's like, I get it. I get it. Oh my gosh. It may not be here. There's an area in my own life where, where I've been working, kind of struggling through this and asking God for years and years and years. Lord, I don't know where this is coming from. Why does he keep on up? Da, 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 da. For years. I knew verses. I was like, Lord, here it comes again. Da, da. And I kid you not, this week, I take my uh, daughter to Nordoff, drop her off at school. So I drop her off like normal. I'm leaving the Nordoff parking lot, and I'm making a right to go back towards the, the Y, the light. Right when I make the right, God just like, hey, you know that issue? Boom. And the floodgates opened, and it pierced my heart like it never did before, and there was this joy and this freedom and this this thing that came over me in in this issue this one specific issue and and now i'm like driving and i'm at the stoplight and i'm crying and i'm like you know i'm trying not to let the people next to me turning left like look and i'm like are you serious lord this is now i'm driving i'm i just dropped off island you want to deal with this now and there was just this moment where I, the, the scriptures came to life and they were set free from these, these anxieties and these fears and these things that have been plaguing me for decades. And it happened unexpectedly after I dropped off my daughter. That's the spirit moving when the spirit wants to move. So I understand in the context of this church, I'm not going to try to seal the deal necessarily because this may not be, I'm just going to pray for you. I'm going to pray that God opens your heart and your, and your mind and, and your whole being at some point that you're part of the much forgiven if you receive Jesus. Just follow Jesus. Just follow Jesus. Church, quit trying to figure out what's the bare minimum. <laughs> Just forget the whole bare minimum stuff. Jesus loves you so much that he died on the cross for you. Start there. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, Oh, Lord.
tell this story of this sinful, broken woman who does these kind of elaborate things for you, Jesus. She's weeping. Her her tears are falling on your feet. She's wiping her tears off your feet with her hair. She puts perfume on your feet. And, And sometimes we're like, wow, I could never do that. And the truth is, it all came out of love from her. It was just this welling up of love that she had been forgiven so much that she just loved you. And, and what she was doing wasn't to impress anyone, wasn't to meet a bare minimum requirement. It was just love, extravagant love, free love expressed to you, Jesus, because she had been forgiven much. God, I pray we would be a church of the much forgiven. When people say, what are you guys about over there? Oh, you know what, man? We've just been forgiven much. We're just overwhelmed with the love and grace of God. And we're just doing our best to follow Jesus who died for us, who loved us so much he went to the cross while we were out in the world doing our own thing, living for ourselves. And then he touched my heart, and I understood it, and God opened my eyes, and now I finally get that I have been forgiven much. Through faith in Jesus, I am a child of God. I am a new creation. God loves me. So God, I pray, whether it's right now, at this moment, or whenever your time is, Open our hearts and our minds to your grace, your love. I pray we would respond. Just respond by being fully open to following you, Jesus.